there was a king who reigned in a country in Asia Minor. He was a rich king, he was a powerful king, he was a well-known king. But he had a vice. He loved gold. He lived in this amazing, beautiful palace alone with his beautiful daughter. And he spent all of his time counting his gold coins, finding the newest, latest gold-plated item to place in this amazing, expansive palace that he lived in. He would even want to bathe in gold if he could. And there were times where he would try to get as much of his gold coins as he could and just try to pour them over top of him. He loved gold. So at some point in his reign, the god of celebration... Dionysus traveled through his country. And as he was traveling through his country, one of his companions, one of Dionysus' companions, was delayed. And Midas found him, brought him into his palace, let him stay the night to get a night's rest, and then led him to catch up with Dionysus' crew. Dionysus was so moved by this king's amazing offer that he asked the king, I'll grant you one wish. What would it be? The king thought about it. He thought about, man, if there was just one wish I could have, what would it be? And the whole time he's thinking, gold, 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 gold. So he goes, I've got it. I know what I want. I want everything that I touch to turn to gold. Dionysus thought about this and immediately thought, this is not a great idea. You really need to think through this, king. But the king was resolute. Nope, this is my wish. I want everything that I touch to turn to gold. So Dionysus begrudgingly grants his wish. The king goes to sleep that night and wakes up the next morning, hoping and praying that his wish had been granted. So he wakes up and pops out of bed and touches his bedside table. Instantly turns to gold. So he starts running around his room and he touches the carpet and he runs into his bathroom and he touches the bathtub and he runs and he touches his dresser, everything turning to gold. Excited about this. He runs around his entire palace just touching everything and everything that he touches turns golden. He is thrilled. It's like Christmas morning for this king. So he goes reveling in this beautiful wish that had been granted to him. And he sits down at his breakfast table. 
which turns gold. There his meal had been set for him, and there was a rose sitting on top of his plate. So he grabs the rose to smell the beautiful fragrance of this rose. It immediately turns gold, and there is no fragrance. Disappointed by this discovery, thinks, oh well, and pops a grape into his mouth. But the grape had turned into gold. And so he's chewing on a gold nugget. So he grabs a slice of bread, which turns to gold. He grabs his water, which turns to gold. Everything is turning to gold. And this king is now starting to wonder, did I really make a good decision? At that moment, his beautiful daughter had woken up and had entered into the dining hall. And the king pops up, runs over to his beautiful daughter, and gives her a good morning hug. She instantly turns into a gold statue. The king is mortified and cries out to Dionysus to free him from this wish that he had granted. Dionysus instructs him to go to the local river and to wash his hands in the river. As he gets there, he washes his hands in the river, and all the things start turning gold, and then everything starts to turn clear. Steps out of the river and touches a tree nearby. Nothing happens. So the king thinks, ah, oh, maybe my, my wish has been taken away. So he runs home to his palace and begins touching everything that he had turned to gold that morning. And as he touches them, everything turns back to normal. The rose was fragrant. The grapes were a little easier to swallow. And his beautiful daughter had turned back into the beautiful living being that she was. King Midas learned an incredible lesson that day. And from that day, set forth to not be so enamored by collecting gold. In fact, he gave the majority of his wealth away. He became even more well-known and even more well-renowned, and his nation thrived under his leadership. He died a hero And was celebrated by his entire nation because of that important lesson that he learned that day. Now, there's lots of morals to that story that I that I think that we could probably pull out about greed, about wanting too many things, about never having enough. But I think there's another moral to this story that I was thinking about the other day as I was preparing. There really is power in the ability to touch. Let me get all scientific on you. The sense of touch is a necessary and important part of all of our lives. There are sensory neurons that are densely innervated in our skin. In fact, each square inch of skin There are hundreds of these sensory nerve endings. 
They're called mechanoreceptors. They detect change in shape and produce an action potential, which is propagated by the rest of the nervous system. This action potential codes for the touch's location on the skin, the amount of force, and its velocity. Other touch receptors in the skin produce action potentials in response to an object's temperature and the presence of chemicals on the skin. The sensory neurons transmit their signals to the thalamus and to several other parts of the cerebral cortex, the specific location in the brain at which each sensory neuron synapses determine how the touch signal is interpreted. Through its effect on development of neuronal pathways and communication, the amount and type of touch an individual receives can greatly affect a person's behavior and health. It is well documented that a child's development can be highly elevated by the amount of touch that child receives, even in the very early months of its life. So right now, all the men in the room are kind of like, oh, great. He's talking about touching. And by the way, I'm not, uh, I'm not talking about, like, sexual touch. And all the teenagers in the room are like, what, sex? Oh. And actually, now they're all like, oh. Called me out on that. But we're just talking about these, this idea of the importance of physical touch. We were all created to be touched. We were all designed to be touched. Which brings us to our real topic of the day. Bet you guys are going to guess this one. Leprosy. <laughs> I knew it. You guys all knew it. I knew you, you knew I was going to go there. Leprosy was a skin disease in biblical era. There are still some underdeveloped countries in this world that deal with leprosy even today. But in the biblical era, there is no disease that is more talked about in Scripture than leprosy. Leprosy was a skin disease. It started out by white kind of pussy spots. In fact, if you found a pink or a red spot on your arm, you were asked to go to the priest to have him inspect this spot to make sure that you would not have leprosy. And what the priest would do is he would document that you came in that day and that you would, and he would ask you to come back seven days later to see if there's been any change or any growth in these spots. Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 highlight in God's law the requirements that God had in order to stop any kind of a leprosy epidemic from arriving. So you would go back in the next seven days, and if those skin diseases that were pink and maybe red 
were starting to turn white, you would be considered to have leprosy. If they stayed about the same color, you were given the freedom to say, yeah, you don't have leprosy, you are, you are clean. But if you were said to have leprosy, there's a whole huge list of things that you have to do. First of all, if you are a man and you have leprosy, you have to shave your beard just leaving your mustache. All people that have leprosy have to shave their head. You must take all of your clothing because they might have been affected by the leprosy. You must take all of your clothing and burn them for fear of not spreading anymore. You are given sackcloth. And you are told to rip the front of your sackcloth and wear that sackcloth. Which is, in other places in the, in the law of Moses, a sign of mourning someone's death. So when you as a leper are given the sackcloth to wear, it's really you are dead man walking. Because you're a leper. You are asked to leave your home. In fact, you're forced to leave your home. And if you contracted leprosy in the house, your house would either have to be destroyed or sanitized completely. You are removed from your family, you are removed from everyone, and you are sent outside of the camp or outside of the city to live in a leper camp. Complete quarantine, complete ostracization. If you dared to walk around the streets of the city, you were told that you must cover your face with a bandana, so in case you would happen to spit or anything like that, you would not give someone this leprosy. So you would cover your mouth, and you would walk around the entire streets going, unclean, 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 so that everyone would move out of your way for fear of touching you. That was your life. That was the plight of the leper. No connection with your family. Removed from your home. Your clothes are taken from you. Forced to live outside of the city. And you can't ever touch anyone. See, the funny thing is that's God's law as just a way of protecting the rest of the community. Here's the funny thing about leprosy is it's treated by a mild antibiotic. So all of you guys that are, that are like Team Hutch right now that are dealing with the respiratory flu, sinus infections, all kinds of good germy stuff floating all around, you went to the doctor and you got a an ant- mild antibiotic, there is no way that you would be able to contract leprosy because that mild antibiotic would have killed the leprosy that might have been growing. But of course back then, there was no such thing. So you were forced to be ostracized from your family. Which brings us to this story that we find in Matthew chapter 8. 
And I'm reading, starting in verse 1, going down to verse 4. It's a really simple story. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleaned. You see, in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, there's even a process after you have been, quote-unquote, considered to be clean. There's still a seven-day process that you have to go through of considering yourself to being unclean. So you would have to go to the priest again and be inspected. And if they truly believed that you were clean from the leprosy, they would again tell you, all right, we want you to come back in seven days. When you come back in seven days, we want you to bring this special offering that we need to place to God for freeing you from this leprosy. And so that's exactly what Jesus tells this man to do. I've read this story. I've heard this story a million times. And yet there was one thing that I never really paid attention to, never really thought about until this, uh, this past summer, reading uh, The Beautiful Outlaw written by John Eldridge. And he talks about this story. And he brings up something that really blew me away at how simple it was. Just something that I had just kind of glossed over. And he he writes this. It sounds like a very nice Bible story. Until you understand what Jesus had actually done. First, the leprosy thing. Few of us have met a leper. And the word has since become hijacked by the religious haze. We hardly have a reaction to it. Other than, poor guy. Picture this man as someone in the late stages of AIDS. Emaciated body, nearly bald, wheezing, face ravaged by ulcers. Secondly, the Jewish attitude towards those infected. Lepers were required to cry out as they passed through the village, unclean, unclean. Warning their neighbors, lest unwittingly, Citizens accidentally touch them. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So clothed in rags, bandana over his face, hair dirty and matted. Talk about ostracism. In Israel at that time, to get within a stone's throw of someone so diseased, was to jeopardize your own righteousness and reputation. So that 
is the danger that Jesus was faced with. The man comes near Jesus, but not too near. So what does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches him. The beauty of this is beyond words. You see, Jesus, spotless lamb, Messiah of the world, come to revolutionize the world, risks everything in that moment to reach out and touch this man. We have no idea how long this man had been dealing with leprosy. Maybe it was a few weeks. More than likely, it was months or years. And this man was desperate to find healing. And he knew and he heard the stories about Jesus doing these amazing healings. And he runs. He finds out that Jesus is in the area. And he runs up to Jesus. Kneels down. Doesn't even get close enough. I'm sure he probably, with the crowd that was surrounding him, had to go, unclean, unclean, unclean. The crowds dispersed. And he knelt before Jesus. And as this entire crowd is looking around, Jesus became ceremonially unclean because he dared to touch a leper. Now, I know that this man was healed of his leprosy that day. But as I was thinking about the power of touch through the story of Midas, and as I was thinking about reading all of the physiology of touch, I wonder how much this man was healed simply because Jesus reached out and touched him after he was untouchable for so long. Ostracized, kicked out, forced to live outside of the city, forced to declare that he is unclean, forced to be dead man walking. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches him. Twas battered and scarred. And the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile What am I bid, good people? he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? One dollar? One dollar? Do I hear two? Two dollars? Who'll make it three? Three dollars once? Three dollars twice? Going for three? But no. From the back of the room, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Wiping off the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now, 
am I bid for this old violin? As he lofted with its bow. One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who will make it three? Three thousand going once, three thousand going twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just, we don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came his reply. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game as he travels on. He is going once, he is going twice. He is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. You see, touch is a powerful and important part of our life. Jesus knew that and understood that. And Jesus wasn't ever willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to touch a leper. You know what? I'm not going to touch... All of those people in need, whether it is disease or whether it is their own mistakes, I'm willing to touch them. In fact, that line could really sum up the entire Christmas story. Jesus coming to touch us. So whether you are here this morning and you feel like a leper... Maybe Christmas didn't all pan out the way that you thought it would be. Maybe you are sitting here saying, I am so ready for 2014 to be over. I am ready for 2015 to begin. Maybe you're sitting back thinking about the mistakes of this past year, the problems of this past year, the fights, the struggles, the issues. Maybe you're a little bit like me and you internalize most of that pain and struggle. And you feel a little bit like that old violin, out of tune, dusty, unwanted, unvaluable. That all changes by the simple touch of the master's hand. So you feel like a leper? You feel unvaluable, you feel unwanted, you feel untouchable. You feel like an old violin that's just been thrown aside. Jesus says, I'm willing and I want to touch you. There is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love that I have for you is the message that he's communicating. 
In fact, if you go to the parallel passage in Mark, it's Mark chapter 1 of this story. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And so he reached out and touched this man. And I know that if Jesus was willing to touch a leper back then, he is more than willing to cut through, to step through anything that you're going through, to reach out and touch you. Our lives are completely changed. Our value and our worth are completely changed by the touch of the master's hand. Father God, we thank you. Because you're not a God that sits back. You're a God that engages. You're not a God that steps aside. You're a God that reaches out and touches. All of us that feel like lepers, like outcasts, unworthy of the amazing grace that you provide, you reach out and you touch us where we are. Help us, Father God, to step into this new year understanding that beautiful truth that we are touched by the Master's hand.